Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. G'day everyone, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraka. Um, great to be with you this morning. Let me start by saying something I think is true and you probably all have felt. Technology changes everything, right? It changes our lives. Technology has even changed the way we relate to each other. So, um, back when I started school, if you wanted to chat with someone at school, you had to chat with them when you were at school. Or you could call them on the phone, but back then the phone had to be plugged into the wall and that wasn't to charge it. Then when I got a bit older at school, uh, kind of in, towards the end of high school, uh, mobile phones became the new normal. You could text your friends, you didn't actually have to be there with them, that's what phones used to look like for all you people who were born recently. Um, uh, then along comes social media, and it helps us stay in touch really easily, doesn't it? Just the click of a button. You can even be friends with someone you've never actually met face-to-face. And even more recently, I found out about um, how artificial intelligence, AI, is changing the way we relate. Now you can get an AI friend or an AI romantic friend. Um, technology is changing everything, including the way we relate to each other both for good and, in some cases, for bad. We can't escape this, even if we wanted to. Now, we're about to spend four weeks looking into relationships here at church. This is a bit different for us. Normally, we take a part of the Bible and just work our way through it, but we're going to get a bit, bit of topical stuff here, thinking about relationships. And my great hope is, over the next few weeks, we're going to see not how technology shapes the way we relate to each other, but I want us to see how the gospel changes us, how the gospel shapes the way that we relate to each other. What difference Jesus makes, what difference for good Jesus makes in our relationships. Like I said, we've got four weeks in this series, and we're going to look in those four weeks into four kind of relational spaces. We're going to look at our families and friendships, marriages, and being single. 
But before we get to that, I wanted to stop and just think about one big principle. This is the one thing we're going to keep coming back to over the next weeks. The thing that lies behind every relationship. It's an attitude. And it came from that passage that Ant just read out for us from Philippians 2. Now, uh, next weekend, you probably know, is the weekend together. Very excited, looking forward to it. David Wright from the Bible College of South Australia, he's going to be with us. He's going to take us through Philippians. Um, and, and actually with us, where we're starting today. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, it gives us the foundational thing for all relationships. It's the passage that Ant just read. And I want to point out three things from that passage, just three of them. First, did you notice in that passage who Jesus is? It's quite incredible. It says in verse 6, Jesus in his very nature is God. If you're a believer, no doubt you've heard this kind of stuff before, and it can be easy for it to just kind of wash over you really quickly, but, but it's incredible. You think back to all those years when Jesus was on earth, the, the, the man that the disciples met was not just a man. They met their very own God. That's the first thing. Notice Jesus is God. Second thing, did you notice what Jesus does? Jesus doesn't cash in on being God as if he could use it so that he could have a nice, sweet life. No, no, no. Instead, what does it say? Verse 7, he makes himself nothing. That is, he is in his very nature God, but he takes on the very nature of a servant. The same word is used both times there. It's not that Jesus stops being God, but now he is both God and human in the one person. You see it again in verse 8. Jesus humbles himself, even to the point of dying for us. Jesus doesn't die because this is something that's fun for him, like crucifixion is a good little afternoon stroll in the park. Not at all. Jesus is doing what's good for us. Jesus does this to bring us forgiveness with God the Father. Do you see what Jesus' attitude in life is? He is other person-centered. Not self-centered, but but other person-centered. Third thing, did you notice what this means for us? You get it in verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ Jesus. As we relate to others, we're supposed to be like Jesus here. Where to have this attitude, his attitude, of being other person-centered. And so you see what this looks like in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now it's not saying there that others are intrinsically more valuable than me. Or that I have to fill my life with you know, a whole lot of negative self-talk to bring myself down. No, no, no. But, but what I do here is I look at the way Jesus treated me, him putting my needs before his own. And so as I follow him, I have that same attitude of being other person-centered. That's a radical way of thinking, isn't it? Jesus here is calling us to be drastically different from the society around us. 
And this, friends, this is the key for relationships. This is the one thing we're going to keep coming back to. It's the big principle. In our relationships, have the mindset that Jesus did. That is, be other person-centered. And today, particularly, we're going to look at what that means for our families. Okay, Big principle, be other person-centered. Now let's think about what that means for our families. Families can be tough for some of us. Uh, for example, have you, have you ever felt let down by a member of your family? Have you ever spoken to someone who no longer talks to their sibling? Or perhaps doesn't talk to their parent anymore? Or, or doesn't talk to their kids anymore? Maybe that's where you're at right now. Families, if we're honest, they can be tough. But they, they can also be a wonderful gift from God. They can be, they can be a place where, where we see beautiful expressions of people being other person-centered. So what I want to do now is to walk through some of the different family relationships. Well, I want to see what the Bible has to say about them. And I want to, be, I, I want to spend time being super practical as we go along. Okay? So let's start off. What about um, being a child? You know, all of us are children, right? Some of us may not have our parents around anymore, but we're all children. What does the Bible say to children? Well, you see stuff in, in places like Ephesians chapter 6. Here it is, Ephesians 6 verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There's two, two big things here. Honor and obey. And depending on what stage we're at in life, how we live this out will, will be different. Can I speak to you then if, if you're young? And by young here, I mean if you're still in school. Those two things, honoring and obeying, they're tightly linked together. You honor your parents by obeying them. If you, you honor your parents by obeying them. Let me tell you about a friend I know. Um, this friend became a Christian when he heard about Jesus at his high school. And his parents weren't happy about this. They, they didn't like it. They didn't want him to throw his life away. And so they said, you are not allowed to go to the church youth group. Now, he could have gone, right? He could have lied and said, I'm just going to hang out with some friends and, and went along to youth group instead. But he didn't. He, he'd read these verses in the Bible. He knew he was to obey his parents. So he never went to youth group. Now, he did keep reading his Bible for himself. He um, kept trying to find friends at his school who were also Christians. And then when he moved out of home, he was able to join a church and join a Bible study group and do all that kind of stuff. But while he was a kid living at home under his parents, he honored them by obeying them. Now, I know most of our kids are out at Trinity Youth, right? Um, so let me speak to you if you're a teenager here. There's a few of you around. Obeying your parents is sometimes hard, isn't it? Um, probably feels like they just don't get you. And if we're honest, your parents won't always get things right. But hear what God is saying in his word here. Honor your parents. Honor them by obeying them. 
Obedience isn't a dirty word. It's, it, obedience is a beautiful action. Of course, there is a limit to this. Um, if your parents are asking you to do something illegal or to do something that's ungodly, then it's right for you to refuse that. But let's be honest. That's not what our parents are mostly asking us to do, are they? So honour your parents by obeying them. I've been saying this is for you if you're a you know uh, if you're at school or if you're a teenager, but there does come a point where you no longer obey your parents, right? When is that? I think culturally, at some point, we say it happens when you're a teenager. Maybe you know you're an adult when you're 18. But I want to say wisdom says something a little bit more here. If you are still living at home under your parents' roof, then this is for you to honour your parents by obeying them. I'm sure they're probably not going to treat you like you're a three-year-old, but they will set in some rules for you. Honour your parents by obeying them. It's their house. If you want to be your own person, great, move out. Create a life for yourself. Or, Or stay at home, but start paying rent. Start doing your share of chores around the home. But eventually there will be a time when you move out of home. And when that happens, I want to say, keep honouring your parents. Although that doesn't mean you obey them anymore. Like, for example, let, me, let, me, let me give you an example here. Imagine uh, a 40-year-old who's moved out of home, who's working, who's, who's worked for most of his life. Um, imagine he blindly just does whatever his parents say. That's actually going to be dishonouring to his parents, won't it be? Because it will show that they haven't raised him to think for himself, to have a brain. Now, when you kind of move out of home and and, and you start your own life out of home, there are different ways that you honour your parents. Let me give you some examples here. Regularly call them. Keep in touch with them. Include them in your life. If you live close enough, go and visit them. Ask their advice on things. And when they want to give you advice, listen to that advice. Now, you don't always have to do what they say, but listen to their advice. If you end up having kids of your own, let your parents enjoy being grandparents to your kids. There might even be times where you need to honour your parents by financially helping them out. And as your parents age, Honouring them will look more and more like caring for them. It's things like being proactive to make sure they have the care they need, whether that's you doing it for them or making arrangements so that it's done. It might mean getting your siblings involved and having those conversations before the pressure really hits. It's certainly going to mean being gentle with your parents. You know, ageing is hard, especially in our society where we value youth so much. Some parents at this stage of life can become demanding, and so you may need to put boundaries in place as well, but but keep honouring your parents by caring for them. I hope in all these things you've seen what's at the centre of it. It's Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? It's it's other person-centeredness. As a child, you're not always just thinking about me, me, me. Actually, you're thinking you're looking to honour your parents. And I've given some, you know, 
ideas of what this could look like. But, but remember the principle here. Honour your parents. And if you're living at home with them, honour them by obeying them. Okay, that's kind of what the Bible says about being a child. Um, what about being a parent then? Well, of course, we want to love and care and nurture our kids. We want to teach them and protect them and prepare them for life and all that great kind of stuff. But the big thing the Bible says here, parents, is to bring your children up in the Lord. Give them the start in life so that they know Jesus. Again, let's take a look from Ephesians chapter 6. Look at what it says. Uh, Fathers, don't exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, those two words there, training and instruction. Training them is about guiding them in the right way to go. And instruction, it's a word that's really about um, warning them in, in the way not to go. Uh, so go this way, don't go that way. But, but notice here, it's training and instruction of the Lord. It's, it's how they might follow Jesus with their lives. You actually get a really beautiful picture of what this kind of looks like from the Old Testament. So um, we're going to jump to a place in the Old Testament. Uh, at this stage, the nation of Israel had just been rescued by God. They were slaves in Egypt. But now God had brought them out from there to give them their own land to live in. And just before they go and enter this land, their great leader, Moses, he, he stops and he preaches a, a, like a great sermon to them, which is what's captured in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy... Early on, he reminds the people of the Ten Commandments. And he starts to show them what this is going to mean for their lives. And so this is what we get in chapter 6. Moses says, These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you see, friends, what's at the center of life here? God. Do whatever you need to do to remember him, to remember the commands. Write them on your door frames, put them on your gates and teach them to your kids so they will know them too. It's, it's a wonderful example because we want this to be our attitude with our kids, that we would keep Jesus at the center of life, that we'd talk about Jesus in the car on the way to school or when we sit around at the dinner table at night or when we're walking just to go for a little play in the playground. This is so important to keep Jesus at the center of life. Raise your kids in that way. What would that look like? I'm going to say three things here. It's going to look like more than this, no doubt, but, but I don't think it'll look anything, anything less than these things. Firstly, regularly spend time in the Bible with your kids. Now, that may not be the kind of Bible you... You might have to start off with a children's Bible when they're younger, but regularly spend time in the Bible with your kids. Second thing, regularly spend time praying with them. Thirdly, model in your own life what it is to follow Jesus. Model with your life what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is so important, friends. Because our kids, they're getting messages from all sorts of places at their school, 
and the sporting teams they play in, amongst their friends, from the TV, and you can't stop that kind of stuff. You can't build up a wall so they don't see any of that. It's going to happen. And you've only got what's really a short time to build them up, to bring them up in the Lord. So don't miss it. Don't put it off to say, I'll, I'll start doing that kind of stuff later. Don't try and farm it out to the professionals. You know, oh, I'll send my kids along to, to, to Trinity Kids or I'll send my kids to a Christian school and that'll be good, right? That'll, that'll give them it. No, no, no. Yeah, Trinity Kids ladies out here are great. They're fantastic. And, and the, 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 Christian, the teachers at the Christian school, they might be fantastic as well. But, but parents, your kids need you. There's a day coming when I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and I'm going to have to give an account to him for how I've raised my kids. Hand on my heart, I know I haven't done everything right. But this kind of thing, it helps us, doesn't it? It helps us to remember what our aim is to be, to raise our kids so they might know Jesus. Can I tell you one of the saddest conversations I ever had? I was talking with a man who's a believer um, he doesn't go to our church, uh, but at this stage, his kids were like kind of older teenagers. And so I'm, I'm always keen to hear what people have done as they've tried to bring kids up to know Jesus, because I want all the ideas I can get. And so I asked him, what, you know, what do you do when your kids were younger? And he said to me, Scott, he said, this is one of the biggest failings of my life. I just didn't do it. And now I regret it. Don't let that be your story, friends. Obviously, how we do this has got to change over the years. You know, as your kids get older, you do different things. So right now, um, we're reading this Bible with Isaac. He's our uh, four-year-old son. When he gets to 12, we're probably not going to be reading the beginner's Bible anymore with him, are we? Um, But you've got to change as things get older. And I reckon this is actually one of the things that's really useful to talk about with each other, with, with other parents, so that as, uh, you can share what, what worked, what didn't, some ideas. It's a great way to get some ideas. But can I also um, give a warning here? There's something I've noticed that can creep in, something that makes it harder to raise your kids this way. is being too busy. Having so much stuff on. You know, things like you know, swimming lessons and sporting teams and music lessons and so on and on. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things at all, actually. But, but there comes sometimes where you can just find yourself doing so much that maybe it crowds out things like reading the Bible with your kids or praying with your kids. Maybe it tires you so much so that when Friday night comes around, no one has the energy to take the kids to youth group. And, and the kids are just, they want a starfish on the couch anyway because they don't want to get up and do anything else. I mean, that, that, that's just an observation I made. Maybe, maybe that's not true for, for you and your families. But, but if you need to, hear the warning. Be, be, be careful of doing too much. And again here, can you see, being a parent, it's all about what we saw in Philippians 2. It's other person-centeredness. That's not always just what's most easiest and convenient for you as a parent. In fact, if you're going to do this, it's going to cost you. that There'll be time and there'll be energy you need to put out for this. But it's about doing what's best for your kids. It's about having their best interests at your heart so that they'll be brought up in the Lord. Of course, none of this ensures that they'll keep walking with the Lord in their life. But 
give them the best start they can. Before I move on, I just want to say a quick note to the dads here. Um, did you notice in that verse I read before, it wasn't actually to parents, was it? It was to dads. So look again, Ephesians 4. Fathers, don't exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You know, a similar thing happens in Colossians, just the next book in the Bible. In Colossians, you know, one verse, the kids are told to obey their parents. In the next verse, it says this. Fathers, don't embitter your children or they'll become discouraged. Why is this stuff especially to fathers? Two reasons. Firstly, guys, dads, we're supposed to take the lead on this stuff. Don't leave this all for your spouse to do. Make sure you're involved. Take the lead on it. But also, secondly, guys, we can be those who exacerbate our kids. We can be those who discourage them, can't we? And you think about it, in some ways you, you, you can see how it happens. Work is draining, you come home, you've got no energy. You just want a bit of time to yourself. And, but there are the kids, and maybe today they're all excited to see you, and they, they're wanting all your time and your attention. And, or, or maybe tomorrow you come home, and they're just fighting and squabbling amongst each other, and it might be easy to see why you can let your frustrations out on them. Or, why, or maybe even just why you, sometimes you might just try and step back and disappear to another part of the house and just get some space. I say this because I know this is my heart too. I, I, I need to heed this word from God. But dads, these passages help us see what other person-centeredness looks like for us. Not embittering, not discouraging, engaging with our kids. Even when we're tired, lovingly, gently raising them up in the Lord. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us energy. That's what being other person-centered is about. I want to speak to grandparents for a moment too, but I've probably gone on too long. So grandparents, let me give you my, my, my one line. Um, being a grandparent is a great blessing, right? But you're not a parent anymore. Um, so I want to say, what do you do then? Uh, here it is. What influence you have, use that for the good of your grandkids. What influence you have, use it for the good of your grandkids so they might know Jesus too. That might require a bit of thinking about how you do this, especially if your kids aren't following Jesus. But what could that look like for you, grandparents? Now, there's something special we're going to do as part of this series. I'm actually looking forward to this quite a lot. Um, each week, I'm going to get some, some, someone from our church here, some of our members, are going to come up the front, and I've asked them to think just practically uh, about some wisdom that they've got to offer us. Uh, these guys aren't claiming to be experts, but I've just asked if they'd come up and they'd tell us kind of what they've done, what worked for them, maybe what didn't work, and share with us some practical wisdom not that we have to go and do everything that they say, but it helps start a conversation that we can keep having afterwards. So today, Chris and Kirsty, I'm asked Chris and Kirsty to cut the front, um, and they've got a few ideas, practical wisdom about being parents. So thanks a lot, guys. Well, um, so Scott has asked us to speak about family relationships. 
Um, so we asked ourselves the question, what makes us qualified to speak about this? Um, we have asked ourselves the same question because we both came from non-Christian homes. We both grew up in quite challenging families and we have made many mistakes in our parenting. And, uh, but, you know, we have done some good things. <laughs> so what makes us qualified? We're not experts, we're just qualified. We're the parents of five children in the age range of 7 to 30. We are now parents-in-law to three adults. We're grandparents to three. We have been foster parents to over 30 children. But at the end of the day, the numbers don't make us any more qualified than any other parent. We just have more lived experience. Now, what we can tell you is that in parenting, there is one thing that never changes. What never changes in the fa- is the fact that things are constantly changing. You may have done a lot of research and chosen your preferred method of parenting. You may have worked out what values, formulas, inclusions, exclusions that you believe in, and you decided that you will stick to those unswervingly. But we can tell you that that what we have found is that what you choose may be working now, but it won't necessarily work forever. It may work for your child this year and be completely wrong for them next year. It also may work fantastically for your first child and be completely unworkable for your next. I was just thinking about a story that in our household our children... um, used to say it's crackdown week (laughs) and they they still say it now and it was one of those things that they'd know that mum and dad would be like right we just got to work on something and they'd go it's crackdown week Um, but it was one thing that carried right through our parenting I think if you talk to them what we discovered best they um, what works what worked best for us was no particular formula but rather to have a set of attitudes that underpinned our parenting Um, we used these attitudes as a basis for every decision that we made as a parent and we didn't do this really well all of the time. Um, And I think that's the thing about parenting. It's not doing it spot on all of the time. It's having the heart there. So what we discovered is things like love for God, for our children, for ourselves. Love shows up in a multitude of ways in family life. We taught our children to love and value each other. Uh, All kids fight, and we believe it's our job as parents to teach children how to love their siblings. This will be their longest living relationship. We would encourage our kids to be kind and thoughtful to each other, and these early relationships provide a basis for dealing with people, with other people, for the rest of their lives. Obedience. God calls us to obedience throughout our entire lives. We need to model to our children what this looks like. I find it interesting talking about obedience these days because many young parents find it antiquated to expect children to be obedient. There is a greater focus on choices and feelings. These are important, but at the end of the day, I want to know that if my child is about to run into traffic, that my instruction to stop will be taken notice of. Through obedience, children learn boundaries and self-discipline. God doesn't ask us to be obedient if we feel like it. He expects it. It isn't easy, but he's patient, kind and gentle with us. And we should be the same as we teach our children. 
Sacrifice and selflessness. There is no place in the family for individuals to be selfish, expecting more than others. Children are naturally self-oriented little humans, but there are age-appropriate times when they need to understand that waiting or not being first or not getting what you want is okay. Grace. You will need grace. You'll need bucket loads of grace, particularly when you have teens in your house. Prayer. Having an attitude of prayer allows us to take things to God anytime, anywhere. At one stage in our lives, we were driving 20 minutes to school and each morning and we would use this time to pray together. Uh, it wasn't optional. We said to the kids, everyone needs to pray. We'd go around the car, even if it's just pray one thing for one person or something that you have a good day. Um, it modelled to our children that prayer was important. And, and what I would say is take every opportunity to pray for your kids and with your kids. And the final attitude was forgiveness. Our kids need to hear us say sorry and ask for forgiveness when we've done the wrong thing. We also need to teach them to seek forgiveness when required. This forgiveness extends way beyond childhood. There may be times when your adult children need to thrash things out with you about things from their childhood. And these times can require great wisdom and the need to ask for their forgiveness. We all make mistakes. So there are many, many things that we could share with you, uh, pieces of advice, but we thought we'd just uh, narrow it down to three. Um, firstly, have traditions in your family. You need things that are unique to who you are and will give your family unit a sense of identity. You need things that your family unit will own things that will make your kids feel that they are a part of something special. We did many things throughout our parenting years, family nights, half birthdays, holidays, movie nights, family walks, family hikes, particular foods and traditions at certain times of the year, like advent calendars. Sometimes it is not until your children are adults that they will see how important this has been. Traditions give you a family identity. Um, just on one of the traditions we did was Advent calendars. I was very big on doing this and every year kind of did different things for the kids, not just the little chocolate calendar that gets popped open. Uh, and I didn't realise, like for me it was just part of the creative person that I was and a way of expressing that to my children. I didn't realise how important they were to our children until our two eldest girls left home and um, – they both messaged that year and said, hey, where's our advent calendars? Are you making us advent calendars? And so I did. And they took, I made them wooden trees actually, and they took those into their life for a period. So some traditions that we think, some things we do as parents that we don't see as hugely important, our kids actually have found very important. Secondly, never be afraid to make tough decisions, even if they are not the popular ones. Whether this be with your child, their peers, or your friends, or your extended family. You are the parents. The buck stops with you. God has given you the responsibility for your family unit. Make the decision that is right for your family at the right time. We faced this dilemma once with one of our daughters. She was invited to do something with all her friends but we felt it was right for us to say no. Now, that decision was not very popular with her. It was not very popular with her friends, 
and it was even not very popular with her friend's parents. But we felt it was the right decision to make, and so we made it. And finally, your kids will take more notice of how you live than what you say. So model Christ in the way you live. Be a true example of how to live a life in service of Christ, bringing glory to God. You can impart great wisdom to your children, but it is the way they see you behave that will be the greatest impact on them and how they turn out. Also remember, though, that you are human, you will mess up, and it will be okay. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Kirsty. How good's that? Yeah, maybe you don't want to go and do everything Chris and Kirsty have said, but let that be a start of a conversation. Hear the practical wisdom and keep chatting with each other afterwards. Also, I want to let you know in your weekly email this week, I'm going to send you a link to a video. The video is um, it's a longer conversation uh, with Paul and Sue Harrington. Paul is the senior pastor across the Trinity Network. Uh, Paul and Sue are talking about how they've been parents. And how they've tried to shape their, uh, they've tried to bring up their kids, um, being shaped by God's grace. So, um, looking out for that in your weekly email, it'd be well worth checking that out. Why don't I pray for us um, as as we reflect on what God has said? Our good and gracious Father, we thank you for our families. We know that sometimes they've been tough. And some of us may be feeling that heart that they've been hard now. Uh, please give us grace and forgiveness where we need. Lord God, for those of us who are parents, help us do what is good so that our kids might be raised to know Christ. Father, for in our relationships with our parents, for those of us who still have parents, help us to honour them. For the grandparents, we pray that they'd use their influence for good. And help all of us be other person-centered in the way we relate to our families. We need your help in this, Father. Please be with us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.